Well, church, family, uh, we all go ahead and bow your heads with me in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you that we are not just a group of people assembling together, but we're a group of people that are meeting with you today. Lord God, we can meet with you wherever we are at any time by ourselves. But Lord, it is really a special gift that we have other believers to walk through life with. I pray, Lord, that we will encourage each other, be there for each other, challenge each other, comfort each other, rebuke each other if needed. However that looks, Lord, I pray that we would all point each other to Jesus. Lord, I thank you that we don't just sing, but we have something to sing about. We don't just talk, but we have something to talk about. Lord God, you help us with our minds, but you also help us in our hearts because you make your home in our hearts. Lord, we just want to say thank you. There are so many reasons to thank you today. But Lord, the greatest thing we have to thank you for is your presence with us and your love of us. And so Lord, as we talk about your love for us today, I pray, Lord, that you would speak through me. And I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would guide us to understand what it is you have to say to us today. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your precious word. It's a lamp for our feet. It's a light for our path, Lord. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. Well, if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn with me to 1 John chapter 3, verse 11 through 24. So 1 John chapter 3, verse 11 through 24. Okay. So he says, For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, 
and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Okay, well, I've told all of you this before, but when I was in college, I went to East Texas Baptist University. I had a great time at that tiny little college. I went there because I wanted to become a pastor. That was a call that I felt on my life. And so my, my major was religion. I was a religion major, and I was training to become a pastor. So all that to say, I think maybe when I was a senior in college, I was making my way out of the cafeteria, and a freshman approached who was going into the cafeteria that I was going out of. I think he was also a religion major. I didn't really know him at all. I think I'd seen him around before. But as he was walking in, he said, hey, Jesus loves you. And I said, oh, okay. And then he walked in the cafeteria. I walked out. But I remember at that moment being kind of impressed, like, wow, he just told a total stranger, Jesus loves you. But I also remember feeling like, hey, does he not know who he's talking to? I'm a religion major. I'm studying to become a pastor. I don't need to hear Jesus loves you. It's people that don't know that Jesus loves him that need to hear that Jesus loves him. Now, I didn't say it in those terms, but that was a general attitude of my heart. If he knew who I was, he would not be saying, Jesus loves you. But you know what? I needed to hear Jesus loves me, and we need to hear that Jesus loves us. Why? Because it's good to have assurance that God loves you, but we continually, over time, need reassurance that God loves us. How do I know that I needed reassurance that God loves me? Well, for one, there's many reasons, but for one, my apathy when I heard that God loves me. Because when he said, Jesus loves you, I didn't say, yeah, you're right, he loves me. I said, yeah, I know. I didn't say that out loud, but that was my attitude. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. And you know what? I'm not alone in that. We all, from time to time, when we hear God God loves you, we say, Yeah, I I know. We hear that all the time, right? We hear it in sermons all the time. We hear pastors say, Jesus loves you. God loves you. We see signs at games and God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We hear all the time from fellow believers, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. It's easy to become apathetic to it. It's easy to become numb to it. It's easy to do what Jesus says in the book of Revelation, lose our first love. But that's why we need reassurance because we say, yeah, I know, but here's the question. Do we really know? Do you really, in your heart, deep down in your bones, know without a doubt that God loves you? If you are going to be able to say, I know that God loves me, you're going to need what we've been talking about, blessed reassurance that God loves you. And in our passage today, John is writing to give us blessed reassurance, not just that God loves us, but what it means that God loves us. Look, last week we said that it's good to know that you're a child of God, 
but it won't really have an effect on your heart until you know what it means that you're a child of God. In the same way, it's good to know that God loves you, but it won't really have an effect on your heart until you know what it means that God loves you. Look, in this passage, John is showing us what God's love is. It's crucial that we understand what God's love is because unless we understand what God's love is, we will have a difficult time accepting it, receiving it, and therefore a difficult time showing it. So look, in our passage today, John shows us three things about God's love. He shows us what God's love is, what God's love does, and what God's love commands. What it is, what it does, what it commands. So let's get into the first one. What God's love is. What is God's love? Well, first, before we answer that question, we have to see what God's love is not. And immediately, John shows us what God's love is not. John says, God's love is not like Cain. If you want to see what God's love is not, just look at Cain. Why? Because he took life. He took the life you see in Genesis, I believe, chapter 3, took the life of his brother Abel. Why? Because he was jealous that God received Abel's sacrifice and not his sacrifice. And so basically in this passage, John says that when you look at the world, how does the world love? Like Cain. It takes. It takes. It takes. But look, he says, if you want to see what God's love is, don't look at the world. Don't look at the way that the world loves. Take, 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 take. He says, look at Jesus. Because he says, when we see Jesus, we see that God's love is not taking life. God's love is laying down one's life. The total and complete opposite. And you won't see that kind of love unless you look to Jesus. Look at verse 16. He says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So that when he says laid down, we have translated that as laid down. The Greek word is tithemi, and it means, laid down is a good translation. It, it literally means to set aside, to place down. Jesus Christ laid down his life. This word, tithemi, to set aside, this is something we see Jesus doing, not just on the cross when he laid down his life. This is what we see him doing all throughout his ministry, setting aside, laying down. Look, even in John chapter 13, I believe, when Jesus went to wash his disciples' feet, it says he tithemied his garment. He set aside his garment. Why? so that he could serve his disciples, so that he could wash their gross, disgusting, dirty feet. Why? Because they deserved it? No, not at all. They didn't deserve it at all. Think about this. Jesus knew that I'm mere hours away from being betrayed by Judas, and yet he set aside his garment to wash his feet. And it wasn't just in that moment. 
It was all throughout Jesus' ministry that he was setting aside, laying down what his time, his energy, his plans, everything, himself, even on the cross, what does it say? They cast lots for what? His garments. He set aside his garments, not just to serve, but to lay down his life for us. So look, we see in Jesus, we see that to love someone is to what? To set aside our lives, our plans, our energy, our possessions, and even our rights for the good of others. That's what love is. Henry Nouwen, in his book, The Wounded Healer, he says, the beginning and end of all Christian leadership is to give your life for others. He says, thinking about martyrdom, what is martyrdom? It's laying your life down as a witness to God. He says, thinking about martyrdom, just thinking about martyrdom can be an escape unless we realize that real martyrdom Real laying down of your life means a witness that starts with the willingness to cry with those who cry, laugh with those who laugh, and to make one's own painful and joyful experiences available as sources of clarification and understanding. He says, who can save a child from a burning house without taking the risk of being hurt by the flames? Who can listen to a story of loneliness and despair without taking the risk of experiencing similar pains in their own heart and even losing their precious peace of mind. In short, who can take away suffering without entering it? It's not possible to take away suffering without entering it, without laying your life down. Look, if we look to the world to define love for us, who will we become like? Cain, who murdered his brother. We may not physically murder someone, but we will hate people. Why? Because they won't give us what we want. We won't get what we want. And our love will simply be about me taking what we want, getting what we want. But look, if we look to Jesus, we will see what love actually is. Why? Because he laid down his life for us. And this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to also lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. So what is God's love? It's laying down your life on behalf of someone else, for someone else. But what does God's love do? That's our next question. And that's the next thing that John shows us. What does God's love do? We'll look at verse 17 through 18. He says, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Now, in order to understand what he's saying here, I think we have to go a little bit more into the background of what's going on here. So we've talked about how uh, all throughout this book in 1 John, we see that first that John is addressing, there's really been a struggle in their church because false teachers have come into their church and they've chipped away at what they believe, at very foundational teachings to what our faith is. 
one of the foundational teachings that they've been chipping away at is that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Now, this is central to our faith, not just that he came in the flesh, but that he rose from the dead in the flesh. Now, there were a lot of false teachings in that day, so it's hard to tell what exactly was the false teaching that was going around in their church. There could have been one, there could have been many. But in that time, that was in the early days of a false teaching known as Gnosticism. Have you ever heard of that? Gnosticism? Gnosticism, it comes from that Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. It basically meant that, hey, there's a secret knowledge that we can learn, and if we learn it, I know this sounds weird, because it is weird. If we learn it, then we can escape, our spirits can escape from these dirty, gross bodies. The view of the body by Gnostics was that the body is bad. The spirit is good. And life is all about getting away from our dirty, disgusting, and gross bodies. So can you see why Christianity is an affront on Gnosticism when it says Jesus Christ came in the flesh and rose from the dead, not as a ghost, as a spirit, but in flesh and blood, and in so doing, enabled us to rise with him in flesh and blood? No, that doesn't work with Gnosticism. And yet, that is what John could be writing to them about this teaching that Jesus Christ couldn't have possibly come in the flesh. So I know what you're thinking. I'm thinking, what the heck does this have to do with anything? This all seems so random to me. Look, the Gnostic said, Jesus couldn't have possibly come in flesh and blood. It couldn't have happened. John said that in order for Jesus to show God's love, he had to come in flesh and blood. He had to. Look, let's, let's follow the logic. If God's love is laying down your life for someone, John says you cannot lay down your life for someone without putting on flesh and blood. And that is what Jesus did for us. In fact, John says in his gospel account, in John chapter 1, verse 14, likely with the Gnostics in mind, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I like how the message translation translates it. It says the Word put on flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Look, what does this mean? It means that you can't love someone unless you are there for them. What does God's love do? It puts on flesh and blood. It's not just words and speech. It's action and truth. It puts on flesh and blood and it shows up. Now, Early on, when I became the pastor of our church around three years ago, um, I met up with one of my friends from the church that I used to work at. His name is Jordan, and I've met him a couple times because he's been at our church a couple times. Jordan is awesome. But I'll be honest, at this time, I knew Jordan, but I didn't know him as well as I do now. We were friends, but not as much as we are now. So when we met together, when we caught up, he asked me, hey, What's going on? What, what are you up to? I, I filled him in. I said, I've just become a pastor. 
Really? Really? You, you became a pastor? Oh, that's awesome. Are you preaching this weekend? Yeah, yeah, I'm preaching this weekend. Oh, I'll be there. Uh, well, Jordan, thank you, but I think you should know it. Our church is a couple hours away. That's a long, long drive. Oh, really? No problem. I'll be there. So I thought, well, that, that's very nice of Jordan to say that, but I don't, I don't think he'll actually be. I think he'll wake up on Sunday and go, eh, I think I'll just go to my church. But sure enough, that Sunday, who was at church with us? Jordan. And I never told him this. I probably should. That'd probably be a nice thing to do. But I've never told him this. That, to me, was one of the times in my life that I felt most loved, most cared about. Like my life really actually does matter to someone. Why? Because when Jordan showed up at church that Sunday, what happened? His word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that is what love does. Love is not just words and speech. Love is actions and truth. In other words, love is intentional. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse, or chapter 10, verse 23 through 24. He says, you say, you all as a church say, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. So listen to this. He says, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Did you hear that word seek? Seek love is intentional. It doesn't just happen. It's something that we're intentional about. So what's the practical aspect of this for us? Look, I'll just tell you just for this week. Of course, I want this for your whole life. But just for this week, ask yourself, ask God, hey, who can I call? Who can I visit? Who can I cook for? Who can I clean for? Who can I write a letter to? Who can I pray for? Who can I show up for? Just ask that question. Ask that question. Why? Why should you ask that question? Because love puts on flesh and blood and shows up. That's what love does. So look, we see what love is. It's laying down your life on behalf someone for someone what does God's love do well it puts on flesh and blood and it shows up but now lastly he shows us what God's love commands now that sounds weird God's love commands well what does God's love command well thankfully he tells us what God's love commands in verse 23 look at verse 23 and this is his command to believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and to love one another as he commanded us. Okay, this is his command, singular, to believe in Jesus and to love one another. John, uh, I don't know if you know this, but that's two commands. How can you say this is the command and then say to believe in Jesus and to love one another? That's two commands. No, for John, 
They are two sides of the same coin. In other words, you cannot love one another unless you believe in Jesus. Do you see what he's trying to say? Look, our love for one another comes from our belief in Jesus. Now, again, I know I'm feeding you a lot of Greek. I think it's kind of necessary in 1 John to understand what he's saying. When he says believe, or what we have translated as believe, that Greek word is the Greek word pistiuo, which means to trust. The reason I'm telling you that is because sometimes when we think of belief, we think of believing in facts. But this isn't just believing a fact. This is trust. This is confidence in. So look, to believe in Jesus doesn't just mean, well, I believe that Jesus is real, which is good. It's more than, it's not less than that, but it's more than that. To believe in Jesus is to trust in Jesus. What does this have to do with love? When it comes to love, what do we typically trust and operate from? What's our guiding principle? When it comes to loving other people, what are we going by? Our own hearts. Our own hearts. Look, don't we typically say this? The heart wants what it wants. I love when I feel like loving. I love who I feel like loving. When I feel like loving. It's all about us. It's all about our hearts. What's the problem with your heart being your guiding principle for love and operating in life? Well, simply this. What does Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 say about the heart? It says the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Is that your North Star? Is that your guiding light? Your heart, which is deceitful above all things? Look, when you trust your heart to lead you, the Bible promises that it will mislead you. Now, John Mark Comer, in a book that I just read, it's a phenomenal book called Live No Lies, he talks about how our guiding principle as a society is that phrase that I just mentioned, the heart wants what it wants. Isn't that kind of her motto? The heart wants what it wants. But he says, do we know where we got that phrase? Where did that phrase come from? Who made that phrase popular? Maybe if we knew why that phrase is popular, we'd think a little bit differently about saying the heart wants what it wants. So I'll just read you what he says. He says, the heart wants what it wants. So the popular saying goes, yet very few of us remember who made it popular. In 1992, the journalist Walter Isaacson was interviewing Woody Allen for Time magazine. The subject was Allen's notorious affair with Soon Yi Previn. There's debate as to what actually happened, but the basic story goes something like this. All through the 1980s, Alan was in an on-again, off-again relationship with Mia Farrow, an actress and model. Before she and Alan had begun dating, Farrow and her then-husband, Andre Previn, had adopted two children from Vietnam and then a seven-year-old girl from South Korea, Soon Yi. 
Over the next few years, Pharaoh adopted two more children. Then she and Woody Allen had a son together. Years went by, and Pharaoh and Allen's relationship began to deteriorate. One day, she found photos of her daughter, Sun Yi, in the nude on Allen's fireplace mantle. The truth came out. Alan and Soon Yi had been sleeping together. Alan was 56. Soon Yi was 21. Alan went on to date and then marry Soon Yi. Now back to the interview. Walter Isaacson, one of the best interviewers of our day, calmly but persistently probed Alan's heart for some kind of regret, apology, or even moral uncertainty, but Alan simply refused to admit he'd done anything wrong. At the very end of the interview, Isaacson asked why he did it. Alan paused, then proffered his iconic line, the heart wants what it wants. Why am I telling you this? Did you come to church for TMZ? Am I telling you this just to dogpile on Woody Allen? Am I doing this to turn up my nose and say, oh, we're so much better than Woody Allen. Let's look down on Woody Allen. The truth is, no, we're not. I'm not, if you think I'm telling you this just to say we're better than Woody Allen, let's look down on Woody Allen, you're totally missing the point of what I'm saying. Look, what I'm saying is, do you see how great of a mistake it is to trust in your heart to lead you to say the heart wants what it wants? Do you see how when we just follow our feelings blindly where it takes us? Not anywhere good. His heart is the same as our heart. Should our heart be our guide? Should it be what we operate from? No, because the heart is deceitful above all things. It is beyond cure. Who can understand it? So look, if you can't trust your own heart, what can you trust in? Well, John tells us, God's heart, God's heart. But where do we see God's heart? On the cross. That's where we see God's heart. That's where we see how great his heart is. Look at verse 19 through 20. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Look, the same hearts that lead us somewhere will be the same hearts that will condemn us for the same thing. It doesn't sound like they really, Woody Allen's heart really condemned him for what he did, but for a lot of us, when we see what we've done, it condemns us. And what the Bible says is, yes, your heart might condemn you it will definitely mislead you. But God's heart, which was displayed and seen in Jesus, is so much greater than your heart. So what should you do? Don't live by a heart that misleads you. Live by the heart that died for you. It's a big difference. His heart died for you, which means it is trustworthy. 
In fact, Ignatius of Loyola, when defining sin, when saying what sin is, he said, sin is unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. Do you know that whenever you sin, it's because you believe in your heart, I can't trust God. He doesn't want what's best for me. <laughs> but look, the cross says the very, very opposite. You can only trust that God wants your deepest happiness when you see what he did for you on the cross. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And look, what should we do? Trust that God loves you so much that he would give up his heart for you. And only when you trust that will you be able to give your heart to him. Only when you trust that, when you trust that his heart is greater than your heart and that he gave his heart to you, will you be able to see and know and receive his love. And only when you see and know and receive his love for you will you be able to show his love. Let's pray. Lord God, when we look at the world, we are very confused. When we look at the world, we just don't know what love is. And we think that love is a feeling. And while feelings are a part of love, it's more than just a feeling. Love is a verb. Love is a choice. And it is the choice that you made for us on the cross. We know what love is because Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So Lord, because you laid down your life for us, I pray that we would lay down our lives for you. And because you laid down your life for our neighbors and even your enemies, I pray, Lord, that we will lay down our lives for our neighbors and even our enemies, Lord. Because it's only through displaying your love that you displayed for us on the cross by laying your life down that others can see your love in us, through us, and by us. Lord God, we can't achieve this love on our own. Our hearts are deceitful and misleading. Lord, we need your heart. Help us, Lord, through Jesus, to trust in your heart, to see your heart, to take it in, to receive it, and in receiving it, to give it. We love you, Lord, but only because you loved us first and showed us what love is in the first place. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen.